So today's talk is at ego's end, where God's grace intersects us. I'm probably going to fidget quite a bit, so just be prepared. Uh, I had a story, if I ever did any public speaking, that I was going to use by uh, Chip Kidd, the book cover designer. He's any D David Sedaris book or uh, Camp, uh, Cormac McCarthy, you've probably seen it. Uh, he had a, an amazing story that happened, I think it happened at Union Station at the KFC. And the punchline was so good that uh, Adam Morton said it could be made into a devotional. And yet I cannot say it in public. So I had to skip that story. Um, then there was another story. Again, I can't use. I used to live on Maui. And it involved a uh, clothing optional beach and an ex-girlfriend. And I can't tell that story either. Uh, I will say, uh, it is interesting what bits of clothing people thought were optional. Uh, uh, there was a surfer, just a rash guard. Just, <laughs> that was, water was really cold. Um, the one that, it's a story I've, I've written about before, but um, <laughs> that I'm gonna use. There is a uh, famous scene in uh, 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 Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, and uh, it's the scene where uh, Rutger Hauer uh, is dying and gives the, the tears in the rain speech. It's a, a beautiful eulogy. And someone decided to uh, make a Lego version of it, which is very disturbing. And, <laughs> but, the best part of it was the comment that was left below it. Uh, Boxer King 1000 uh, said, best death ever. I sometimes sit down in the shower naked and quote this line as the water falls down my face. I'm not allowed at 24 hour fitness anymore. <laughs> um, I just, I've never seen anything that topped that. That was, that was fantastic. Um, the talk is about um, my own uh, self-delivered eulogy, uh, fully clothed. Um, uh, and it's, it's about, I'll give a real short definition of ego. I think the popular usage is an inflated sense of self. And really, ego is just the sense of self, uh, who I am sitting here today, my experiences, where I'm from, how I interact with the world. Uh, Frank Lake gives a wonderful, uh, uh, I'm gonna pull my phone out so I can keep track of time, uh, a wonderful uh, short definition, ego is the real self as experienced by the individual. Um, and I think that's, that's a good basic uh, description. Paul Zoll, uh, who is here today, uh, has been an enormous influence uh, on me uh, as I've dealt with this subject, uh, and he's written about it quite beautifully. Uh, and in his book, uh, PC's Panopticon, available 
at the book uh, counter, um, has a moment in it that I think is the best description of uh, ego death, that moment it happens, uh, that I've ever come across. Uh, he says, within 10 minutes, I can honestly say that my old self was murdered. Uh, he goes on to add, uh, narrating in the third person, the document in front of him told him he had been living in the country of the blind. It screamed, the existence of the document screamed. You were wrong about your friends. You were wrong about your work. You were wrong about the present. You were wrong about the past. You were wrong about the future. Most of all, and this was completely devastating, you were wrong about yourself. Um, I, I, that's a beautiful description of what that moment is like. Uh, uh, Robert Farrar Capon, and this is a Mockingbird conference, so it is, I'm legally obligated to quote him, uh, says something almost exactly the same about his own uh, moment of ego death. Um, he, uh, it was a personal tragedy. He said, I was not just devastated or hurt or ill, used or broken, I was dead. Unless you have been through such an experience, you may find this overblown, but my life, as I had known it, was gone, over, kaput. Um, I just didn't have my life anymore. Uh, <clears throat> I died too uh, a few years ago, uh, and I remember the moment it happened, uh, and what I want to do in this talk is describe how I got there and what happened afterwards. Uh, any one of the events I described could have killed me outright, and, and the reason it didn't is not because I'm particularly strong, it just didn't happen. But I did notice the series of events, and I was just talking to Ellis uh, Brazil the other day, uh, he had the same experience. It was a series of events that finally led uh, to his moment of ego death. Uh, so I'm, what I'm hoping is in, in retelling these bits of my story, uh, you may see parts of your own uh, and uh, maybe connect with it. Um, we'll all experience these things, uh, whether we caused them or they, someone else caused them to happen to us. Uh, uh, in some cases, uh, it may kill us. In some cases, it may not. Uh, my father died about 15 years ago, and it was surprising, uh, unexpected. And <laughs> I did something you're not supposed to do. Uh, I opened up the Bible, and I said, Lord, if I ever need something from you, now is the time. And <laughs> the verse I opened up was Joel 2.22, which is, uh, I will restore what the locusts have taken. And I thought, well, unless he's going to raise my dad from the dead, I'm not quite sure uh, how this is helpful to me at the moment. And what I realized was it was uh, a bit of a foretelling of what would happen. Uh, the locusts hadn't quite started yet at that point. Uh, Lord in his kindness didn't reveal that to me. Um, 
One thing that was traumatic about my father's death was uh, I was part of a, a small family business. And uh, I'm going to read uh, a short little section that, that describes the dynamic. So keep in mind this was about 16, 17 years ago. It says, a small family owned and operated business is a rather intense dynamic. When my father passed away, it not only turned family life upside down, it did the same with the business. It's hard to explain, but everything is inextricably in intertwined in that scenario. Around that time, HBO's Six Feet Under premiered. There were so many aspects of the show that paralleled what I was struggling with at the time. Uh, it became uh, eerily biographical. A small family-run funeral par parlor, uh, switch out for small manufacturing business, uh, fathers and sons, uh, suffered the unexpected death of the father, check, uh, and the sons and their mother attempted to keep the business going, check. Basically, I was Nate and there was going to be uh, a Brenda. Uh, very shortly thereafter, through a, an unusual series of circumstances, uh, I moved to Maui. Uh, and that's a whole other talk in and of itself, so I have that to fall back on in the future. Um, it was the best time of my life. Uh, I fell in love. I was part of a, an incredible church, was mentored by an incredible man, made lifelong friends, uh, and went to a clothing optional. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, then, after about uh, four years, uh, something happened. Uh, as I became more involved in ministry, it, it, uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time, who had met me at the church, as where I was involved in ministry, uh, was not thrilled about that arrangement. And I thought we were going to get married. Uh, she came to back to Ohio with me, which, you know, was a sacrifice uh, for her uh, to visit the family. So we were pretty serious. And she had children, so it, it was very serious. Uh, and then we broke up, uh, and it was, it was pretty awful. I, I wrote about it, so th this is, uh, it's easier to write about these things because there's a bit of a wall between you and the people. You're behind a curtain. So projecting this very personal moment in a room full of people is going to be a little awkward, but I'll give it a shot. She looked more beautiful than I had remembered. I didn't know that was even possible. Avoiding my usual haunts in the months since we had broken up had worked until that night. We had the same argument we always did. She couldn't see how this ministry thing would pan out. She wasn't wrong. She had children. She had found someone else. Before we parted ways, she asked me to kiss her like I used to kiss her. Uh, I held her shoulders and kissed her forehead instead. I couldn't let her mess up what she had now. I had made her unhappy one last time, this person I loved. It didn't feel, feel like chivalry, it felt like self-harm, an amputation I had performed on myself. I had just watched a future end with a kiss. So that was, you know, after my father's death, which was an enormous, unexpected blow. 
this was pretty bad. Uh, um, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't long uh, after that happened uh, that I found myself uh, stuffed into a little church conference room um, with a bunch of young ministry leaders. The church I was at has and still has a very vibrant intern program. Uh, uh, people discerning a call to ministry go there for about a year and it's not hard to get young people to come to Maui for a year. Uh, and it's a large church. It's about 2,000 people, a decent-sized staff, but it wouldn't function without the interns, so they were pretty vital. And I was in the young adult uh, ministry, and so we, we had our own intern. But So I got to know a lot of them. Uh, one thing, well, I'll... I can, I can read, I can describe it better than I can uh, vamp here. Um, it, uh, I found myself stuffed into a little church conference room with a bunch of young ministry leaders. There had been panicked phone calls and texts coming in telling me their bosses were not happy about this unscheduled meeting, that they couldn't come. I felt like a union organizer. What we were doing felt very transgressive, which was ridiculous, especially once you hear what the meeting was about. I called my mentor, who was home trying to recover from the illness that would later claim him. After quickly outlining what was happening, he said, Josh, go ahead with the meeting. I'll make some calls. I'll take care of it. Uh, and he did. And the meeting was allowed to happen. Um, I pause there because that, that last sentence uh, shaped, <laughs> I think, maybe not entirely positively, uh, my ministry for the next decade. Uh, I don't think he was wrong, but I think, <laughs> I think he set me up for what was next. Um, we were meeting about these young leaders asking their bosses, pastors with a few hundred years of combined experience, to mentor them. That's all. That was what the meeting was about. After that meeting, they asked to a person. They were told no. I was pretty naive, uh, but I didn't know that was one of the possible answers that pastors could give someone asking to be mentored. It was crushing for everyone involved. And to this day, I'm not sure why it turned out that way. The, the closest explanation I ever got from them uh, or through the, the people who asked was not enough time. Um, that was, I, I, I left Maui not because of that, but I left Maui with that, out that ever being resolved. Um, but they didn't, no one told me that I was wrong. They just didn't want to do it. Uh, my, Josh, I'm sorry. I wanted to yeah. that, and we didn't hear it oh, okay. took place in a meeting. Yeah, it took place in a meeting. We, we, uh, several of the, the interns had expressed interest in being mentored. It was a church with a lot of pastors on staff uh, who had had many decades of experience. And they, they were very reluctant 
to do it. Uh, and they were quite paranoid about any meetings taking place. Um, so it seemed to be, there seemed to be some power issues that I was previously unaware of. Um, but when the interns approached them, uh, every, every intern was told no, they wouldn't be mentored, which I, I, I just find bizarre. I, I don't, because I was mentored, we had a pastor who did mentor a small group, and he, he encouraged me, knowing that church that he was employed by, uh, to pursue that encouragement, because he, he could only handle so many people. It was a huge amount of interns. Um, so that's, that's, that's why we, we tried. Uh, it, it's still a great church, but it, it, that was an unexpected uh, dead end. I, I left without that being resolved. <laughs> the next church I was at, um, I was attending, gosh, probably for about six months, and it was an evangelical church, and I never heard the gospel preached once. It wasn't a denomination I would have picked, but if you're preaching the gospel, I don't care. I'll be happy to attend. Uh, and I, I knew it was bad when I would come home and I would be eating my, my Sunday lunch and I would burst into tears because I hadn't heard the gospel at a church that I was sitting in. And I knew a lot of the people there, they knew what the gospel was, but it just wasn't being proclaimed. And I, I, I did address that with the leadership privately, and I think they knew. They were a little funny about it, but they knew. And at the same time, there was inexplicably, this was an older congregation, Crowds of young adults came, and it wasn't for the preaching, it just was, I don't know what, God brought all these young adults and young families into the church. And so I kind of prepped the leadership as to generational differences, uh, because they were a couple generations removed from the people they were uh, going to pastor. And we started doing some interesting material that encouraged that. But I never had any conversations with any of the young adults. And they started coming to me uh, and say, you know, if I ask elder so-and-so or this older man or woman in the congregation to mentor me, do you think they would? Well, I had them, there were pie charts, I had given them books, trying to prep them, because I, I didn't want what happened at the last church to happen again. And they seemed willing to do it. Um, there were probably close to a dozen people that had approached me and that I had encouraged to ask. Every one of them was turned down, just like the other church. Wasn't even the same denomination. So I couldn't point that out uh, as, a, uh, as a similarity. I, 
I was pretty crushed and so were they, and the same reason, uh, except this time it was, they didn't feel like they knew enough. These were people who had been in churches for 30, 40, 50 years. And I had been mentored and discipled. I saw the value, I saw the growth in my own life. Uh, you don't have to be a genius to do it. Uh, just having lived that long, you have something to share. And there was an unwillingness to do it. And everybody was crushed after that. Uh, the leadership was upset with me uh, because they thought I was some kind of ringleader. The young adults, I remember one of them said, if they don't understand why this is important, I don't want them to mentor me. It's fair enough. Um, that was pretty crushing. I, I'm, I'm not sure why that happened. Um, but around that time, uh, while all this was happening, probably from the Maui era on, I started discipling young pastors, starting with ones I had met while I was in Maui. And then, uh, weirdly, I started getting referrals. So I had a small group of young pastors and ministry leaders uh, who wanted to be mentored. And... <laughs> The fascinating thing about that, I described it to someone, it, it was the most right thing that I could be doing at the time. Um, I had to rearrange my life because it involved several uh, time zones, um, and they were at stages where they were pretty demanding. Um, and so probably over the course of a decade, there were probably about a half a dozen or more young pastors that I mentored. I am not qualified to do it. I don't have a seminary degree. I'm not professional clergy, but it just happened. It was unexpected, so I responded to it. Um, it went fairly well for a while. Um, and then I think the, the moment of the ego death happened uh, at the end of a decade uh, after that. Uh, after mentoring these young pastors. I, I always told them, because they were, they were very smart, uh, high-performing type of people, very challenging, questioning, which was fine. But I always said, you guys will be the death of me. And uh, I was right. Um, I remember the moment that I died. I think that's why I connected so much with PZ, particularly after I read that in his book and everything that he's talked about. I, I knew what that moment was. Uh, and I'll, I'll write or I'll read about the experience. I, I can uh, slightly mo more coherent, I think. It happened within the space of time it takes to hear a single sentence spoken over the phone. The sentence wasn't the primary cause of death, more like that final bout of pneumonia after a long illness. I had been tasked with communicating the only thing I had worth saying within a finite period of time. I discovered during that phone call, then 
long after my window had passed that I hadn't succeeded. It didn't mean the other party had or would fail. It truly had little or nothing to do with them. My best efforts across multiple venues, love, career, ministry, had simply been repeatedly not enough. That phone call represented one more candle getting snuffed out, an epiphany that hadn't happened under my watch, uh, a decade of blood, sweat, and very real tears gone. It was time I could never get back for them or for me. Uh, and that was enough to do me in. In isolation, that shouldn't have been enough to do me in. It would have been disappointing. Uh, I wouldn't have been happy about it. But in looking back, uh, I realized it was all these events together. Um, there is uh, there's a quote from uh, von Balthasar in Love Alone is Credible. Since the first thing the cross does is cross out the world's word by a holy uh, other word, a word that the world does not want to hear at any price. For the world wants to live and rise again before it dies, while the love of Christ wants to die in order to rise again in the form of God on the other side of death, even in death. Uh, Paul Walker in the Mockingbird devotional wonderfully uh, had a entire devotional about Joel 2.22. Uh, and I was so happy when I found it. Uh, he says, the, destroyer, the destroyers, the locusts, are real, uh, did real and severe damage in Israel. His chosen people, uh, they brought years of loss built on years of sorrow. Perhaps you've experienced what feels like years wasted and lost, or sickness or suffering, or years spent idly or in vain, years you wish you could have back. The good and comforting news is that those years, and all years, come from the hand of God. The better news is that God does not waste time, neither his nor yours. That's something I struggled with, uh, because I could not see, and at times still can't see, uh, the value of it. Uh, I have moments. Um, but Capon um, said something that described my experience with Mockingbird right, af right after that moment of ego death. Um, a mockingbird miraculously appeared, uh, which I don't think is coincidental. And Capon always talks about... Uh, slightly paraphrased, our, our ego can respond to the good gifts in life as a live hand and try to clutch, uh, to hold on to the single good that is in any given moment, thus closing itself off to all other possible good. Or it can respond as a dead hand, in which case it will simply lie there, perpetually open to all of the goods uh, and comings and goings of the dance. Uh, that was the lesson I learned. I came to Mockingbird uh, through Capon, and uh, I became friends with Scott Jones. 
and he encouraged me to write. I'd never done any public writing before. Uh, as a matter of fact, he suggested I send something to David, and I told him no, <laughs> because I didn't think I was a good enough writer. I simply enjoyed reading Mockingbird. <laughs> I had no thought about writing. Uh, and the next day, he said, well, David's expecting a piece from you, so you probably should write it. <laughs> um, Mockingbird came along at a time when the locusts had stripped the tree pretty bare. And I view it as kind of the first little green leaves starting to sprout out again. That being said, uh, my ego is not completely dead. I, I will say it's dead enough to do public speaking because I never, <laughs> before that happened, I would not have considered. But I thought, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? Uh, I don't want to think about that, but uh, you know, whatever. Your ego, after it dies, does, uh, and PZ's talked about this quite a bit too, it does kind of reappear zombie-like sometimes. Uh, the last group of guys that I had mentored, uh, that mentoring ended uh, just naturally, normally, as it does uh, recently. And I had an enormous attack of uh, ego come back again because I realized that however he did, however they all did, was a reflection on me uh, because they're all very high achievers. So <laughs> something went wrong. <laughs> Uh, I was the uh, common denominator. Um, I've got two endings, uh, and then I'll, I'm sure there's areas you want clarified or not, but I, I'll end it. I have two, uh, and I like them both, so I don't want to lose one of them. Uh, and I kept it short, PZ wanted me to, it's, it's slightly heavy material, so or a bit to process, so I'm, uh, it, it worked out. Over the last year or so, uh, my friend and I call her my chaplain, Pastor Mandy Smith, uh, and I have had a series of conversations about death, lament, and mercy. She has a wonderful way of paraphrasing 2 Corinthians 4.10. The way I'm finding true hope is in that promise that we carry around the death of Jesus in our bodies, so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. What feels like death to us looks like life to others. And uh, I think about that quite often. Um, something I had written a little while back, and it's one of those things that's encouraging enough to me that I reread it uh, because I haven't completely sold myself on it. My story isn't done, whether your ego is dead or not, neither is yours. The temptation is to try and skip the pages we don't like. And if I'm honest, I haven't liked these last few chapters. The other temptation is to try and rewrite the story altogether. The good news is that mine's already been written, fortunately not by me, and I'm not the hero of it. 
the problem with writing yourself as the hero is that heroes have to slay the dragon. Mine's already been slayed, so has yours. <laughs>